chapter 15, Jeremiah chapter 15. And the message tonight is, the Lord will not relent. The Lord will not relent. Before the Jews ever entered the promised land, Moses had looked over the terms of the covenant that God had made with them, warning them that God would remove them from the land if they refused to obey his voice. And no sooner had Joshua and that generation of spiritual leaders passed from the scene that the nation turned to idolatry, and God had to chasten them. First of all, he punished them in the land by allowing other nations to invade their land and to take control of it. And then, when the people cried out for help, God raised up deliverers for the people. But by the time that Jeremiah and the sins of the people were so numerous that God had to remove them from the land and punish them in faraway Babylon. So in chapter 15, we see Jeremiah, he's brokenhearted. He's a brokenhearted man who wants to go to God and pray for his people. That was the right thing to do. But God has something interesting to say to Jeremiah beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. The people have gone too far. They have, they have to be dealt with, God says. They've crossed the line in the sand where There's absolutely no possibility for pardon. They've gone beyond the point of return. They won't escape captivity now. And the Lord tells Jeremiah that he shouldn't think that God is not hearing his prayers. Jeremiah's prayer life was not the problem. There was nothing wrong with Jeremiah's prayers. God says, Jeremiah, it's not you, it's not your prayers. Even if Moses and Samuel were standing here before me praying for these people, I wouldn't listen to their prayers either. We know that Moses was a great prayer warrior. He was a great intercessor for the people. And when God said he would destroy the people, Moses prayed for them. And God answered his prayer and he spared the people. But now, even if Moses was praying for them, God says, it wouldn't do any good. Samuel, he was another one who prayed for the people. Judgment had been turned away more than once because of Samuel. But God says, hey, Jeremiah, even if Samuel was praying for them, it wouldn't change my mind. It wouldn't stop my judgment from coming. The people have gone too far, and judgment is unavoidable. So now we can see why Jeremiah's message was nothing but judgment. Look at verses 2 and 3. And it shall be, if they say to you, where should we go? Then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord, such as are for death to death, and such as for sword to the sword, and such as for the famine to the famine, and such as for activity to the captivity. And I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. So the people faced four possible judgments. Death either by disease, war, starvation, or if they survived those three things, death 
in exile in Babylon. The bodies of those killed by the Babylonian army would be dishonored. He says they would be eaten by dogs, birds, or wild animals. Nobody was going to get, nobody would get a decent burial. So it wasn't a very bright future uh, that, that God was showing his people. But it was a future they had chosen, that they had brought upon themselves because they refused to turn from their sins. And many times when we disobey God and the consequences come, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We can't blame God. Remember, you can make your own choices. You can choose your own choices, but you can't choose the consequences of your choices. You, you can take what you want from life, but then you'll pay for it. And God has chosen the Jews to be a blessing to the nations of the world. But now, he says in verse 4, I will make my people an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. He's going to make his people an object of ridicule. He says in Psalm 44, 14, You have made us a joke among the nations. They shake their heads at us in scorn. Not only that, but Jerusalem and the land itself would bear witness to God's judgment of their sins. In Jeremiah 18, 6, it reads, Therefore their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity, and all who pass by will be astonished and will shake their heads in amazement. Verse 4. And I will appoint over them four forms of destruction. I'm sorry, verse 4. I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. One of the reasons for this terrible judgment was King Manasseh, who reigned for 45 years and was the most wicked king that Judah ever had. And he was the son of godly Hezekiah. And the, and the grandfather of godly Josiah, and yet he was an evil man who encouraged Judah in the sins that brought the kingdom down. God wasn't punishing the nation of, for Manasseh's sins, but because the nation you know, imitated Manasseh in their sinning. Verse 5 and 6. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. He says, oh, Jerusalem, who's going to feel sorry for you? Who's going to cry for you? Who will even bother to ask, how are you doing? You have abandoned me, God says, and you have turned your back on me. Therefore, I'm going to raise my fist to destroy you. I am tired, he says, of always giving you another chance. That's what he means when he says, I'm weary of relenting of you. I'm so tired of always giving you another chance. And to make things even worse, Jeremiah hears God saying, you have forsaken me. You have gone backwards. In other words, they're backsliding. He says, so I, I'm weary of relenting. I'm so tired of always giving you another chance. The people sinned, and, they, 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 and when they would begin to suffer the consequences of their, of their sin, they would come to God over and over again, crying and promising, we'll do better, Lord. But they kept going right back into the same old sin. 
Well, somebody said crying and trying to do better it won't get you there. It takes dying. Trying and crying won't get you where you need to be, but dying. Pastor Xavier said, if nobody dies, nobody lives. The Bible only works for dead people. I love that. Paul said in Romans 6, 6 through 7, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no, notice, we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Paul said in Romans 6, 12 through 14, Therefore, notice, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin, notice, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. God says, I'm tired of it all. He says, I'm going to stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I'm tired of giving you chances to change. And the time has come now when he intends to judge them. Verses 7 through 9. And I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunder at noonday. I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. She languishes who has borne seven. She has breathed her last. Her son has gone down while it was yet, to, uh, yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the remnant of them I will deliver to, this, to the sword before the enemy, says the Lord. He says, I'll winnow you like grain at the gates of your cities. I'm going to take away the children that you, that, that you hold dear. I'm going to destroy my people because they refuse to change their evil ways. And he says that there will be more widows than grains of the sand on the seashore. And he says at noontime, I am going to, uh, I'm going to cause such anguish. I'm going to bring a destroyer against mothers of young men and, and, and cause anguish and terror to come upon you suddenly. And he says she sit, she'll sit childless. Judas will sit childish, disgraced and humiliated, and I will hand her over to those who are left to be killed by the enemy. He said, I, the Lord, have spoken it. So Jeremiah describes, notice, it's, uh, it, he describes an unnecessary and untimely death of the city and the nation. Unnecessary because it didn't have to happen. It was brought upon the people because of their sinful nature. And it was untimely. They died before they should have. Because again, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin is death. The city could have been saved if they had accepted God's love. They didn't have to die. And this is also the case of every man who rejects God. They're choosing their own sentence of death. So you can see why this message wouldn't make Jeremiah very pop, a very popular guy. It was a message of judgment. Nobody likes to hear unpopular messages. And King Jehoiakim was an evil man. And Jeremiah was the pain in his neck. You know, the burr under his saddle or whatever you want to call it. And thought Jeremiah was nothing but a troublemaker. So Jeremiah goes to the Lord and he prays. Notice in verse 10. 
Woe is me, my brother, that you have, I'm sorry, woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent for interest nor have, uh, nor have men uh, lent to me for interest. Every one of them curses me. He says, you know, if the mothers of dead soldiers had a, had a reason to cry, in verses 8 through 9, then Jeremiah's mother had even more reason to cry because the people treated him like an enemy. Jeremiah's conversation with God here is very emotional. And we see here that he's, he, he's spilling his guts. He, he, he's, he's speaking about what's in his deepest feelings inside. He's, his heart is wrestling with God over what's going to happen here. Jeremiah opens his heart to God. And he admits to God all the spiritual pain and all the mental suffering that, he's going, that he goes through sometimes. And he tells God that he has doubts. And that he's confused because of what's about to happen. He admits that sometimes, you know, the hopelessness of his situation combined with, the, with, with God's mysterious ways of doing things, it, it just about drives him crazy. And this passage shows us the nature of prayer, meditation, and of intimate conversation with God. Jeremiah is overwhelmed by the things that have been going on. For example, his king and his people were against him. There was a plot to kill him by his own family and by his former friends. The horrible drought that had come on the land that we looked at last week. What he saw as a prophet concerning his nation and its fate. And the terrible loneliness that he was going through, it was, you know, it was more, almost more than a man could take. And as the years passed by, there seemed to be no hope of, of things changing for the better. The human spirit, his spirit, it, it, it was rebelling. Jeremiah just sinks into this deep uh, hopelessness. And he wrestles with the awful temptation to doubt God. You know, when you hear that, how many of us can say, yeah, I've been there. I can, I can you know, relate to what Jeremiah is feeling. Seeing the hopelessness of, the, of what's going on around us. And, and the, the mystery of, of God and, and why he allows certain things. And, 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 and we see all of this going on. And, and you know, we don't seem to see any change or any changes coming down the road. Or any light on the, on the darkness of what's going on. And, and we wrestle with God. Going, why, Lord? Why? But Jeremiah is not alone. Even the godliest men of all the ages have suffered the same dark times. The same dark times of, of temptation. Abraham experienced it. David did. Job, Elijah, Paul. And in his bitter, painful suffering, he's crying out to God. He says, I'm a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth, he says in verse 11. He says, you know, I'm hated, God, everywhere I go. And I feel like the whole world is against me. And again, how often do we feel like that? He sees himself despised. Like a person who lends money and is pressuring them to pay him back. And he feels cursed by everybody that he meets. And, and life has caved in on Jeremiah. And he's taking his complaint to the Lord. Verse 11. The Lord said... Surely it will be well with your remnant, Jeremiah, 
Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity and in the time of affliction. God answers Jeremiah's complaint here, and he encourages Jeremiah. He says in verse 11, It will be well with your remnant, Jeremiah. I will leave you some people who shall prosper again. God assures Jeremiah that he will make it through okay. You're going to get through this, Jeremiah. And it's going to come out okay in the end. You're going to come out okay. And then God promised to stand by him. He tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, your remaining days will be more comfortable than the ones that you've had so far. Your end will be good. So it's really encouraging to know, to, to, to God's people to know this, that no matter how tough life gets, it's going to be okay in the end. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 37, look at those who are honest and good for, wonderful, for a wonderful future waits, awaits those who love peace. See, God's promises help to balance out all the troubles in this life. You know, he tempers the, 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 the bad with the good. To give hope that we'll have better days in the end. And, and, it, and, and it, that may help us to make these days easier to deal with. It seems like Jeremiah was troubled by more than just the trouble that people gave him. He was also uneasy about having to, to share God's judgment on the people that he foresaw coming. And even though he didn't say anything about this, God knew what he was thinking. God knows our thoughts. He knows when we're going through that turmoil in our hearts and our minds. He sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. He knows our thoughts are far off before we even have them. And the words that even before they roll off our tongue, he knows what they're going to be. And so God knew what Jeremiah was thinking. And, Jer- and God may have been here replying to what Jeremiah was thinking. Jeremiah thought, you know, if my friends are cruel to me, man, what will my enemies do to me? And God thought it was appropriate to make Jeremiah aware of this and, and expect it back in Jeremiah 12, 5. Remember when God said, if you're worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against horses? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan in the flood? But here, he calms Jeremiah's mind with this promise. He says, I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity and in the time of affliction. He says, Jeremiah, I will cause the enemy to ask you to help them in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Now, remember this. Make a note of this in your mind or on Bible somewhere. God has all hearts in his hand. And he can change those enemies' hearts that we're the most afraid of to find favor with his servants. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 19.21 says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. God can change hearts. And God can change plans in order to accomplish his purposes. And God's prophets have often got fairer and better treatment from their known enemies than from those who say they're God's people. And when we see trouble coming and it looks really bad, don't lose hope in God. 
because it may turn out better than we expected it to. So this promise was accomplished when King Nebuchadnezzar had taken the city, ordered the captain of the guard to be kind to Jeremiah, and let Jeremiah have everything that he wanted. Look at verse 12 now. Can anyone break iron, the northern iron, and the bronze? This seems to be Jeremiah's answer to what God said in verse 11. Can my strength break the strength of Babylon? Jeremiah was wallowing in self-pity. He makes a rather off-handed response here to God. Lord, do you expect me to stop the Babylonian rush? Jeremiah is so bummed out that God's promise seems to mock him. Look at verses 13 and 14. Your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without price because of all your sins throughout your territories. And I will make you cross over with your enemies into a land which you do not know. For a fire is kindled in my anger which shall burn upon you. He says, at no cost to them, I will hand over your wealth and treasures as plunder to your enemies. Because sin runs wild in your land. I will tell your enemies to take you as captives to a foreign land. And because my anger blazes like a fire that will burn forever. 15 through 18. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Notice what he says now in verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. O Lord, God of hosts, did I not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice? I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? Here Jeremiah talks with God. So far, Jeremiah's talk with God hasn't made him feel any better. It seems to have made him feel worse. He's pleading out this cry of pain. This, this, this cry of pain, it's renewed. It's even stronger. His plea to God is even stronger now. He says, Lord, you know what's happening to me. And he's pleading, God, please step in and help me. He's saying, punish my persecutors. Please give, please give me time and don't let me die young. He says, and it's for your sake, God, that I'm suffering. Jeremiah seems to remember the better times. We always do. We always remember the good times. He says, when I discovered your words, notice what he says in verse 16. When I discovered your words, I ate them up. They're my joy and my heart's delight. They're my joy and my heart's delight. Is the word of God your joy and your heart's delight? Jeremiah is saying in verse 16 that he found his comfort in God's word. He ate it up, he says. He ate it up. He digested it. It became a part of him. <clears throat> and in verse 16, we see this is how we need to get into the word of God. And how it needs to get into us today. We need more than just a, a surface reading. 
than reading a few verses now and then. We need to consume God's word. We need to digest it so that it becomes part of our being and it nourishes us. And then it will bring us joy and it will bring rejoicing to our heart just like it did for Jeremiah. Only the word of God can do this. Jeremiah was devoted to God, to God's word. And it affected his life, including his call to service. Notice what else he said in verse 16. He says, your words were found. Your words were found. And you will not find the word of God unless you look for it. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. The psalmist said finding your word was like finding a great treasure, valuable to him. Jeremiah says, your words, your words were found. This says you won't learn much in Scripture if you don't study it. Jesus said in John 5, 39, search the Scriptures. It's one of the keys to finding great truths and treasures in the Word. And our lack of learning the Word of God is often, a la- it's often because of a lack of pursuing the Word of God. Jeremiah said, I ate them. I ate your words after after finding them comes the feeding on them. Many times in life we feed on our problems. We feed on our circumstances. We feed on our feelings. We feel on what we see, on what we hear, instead of feeding upon the word of God, the promises of God's word. He fed upon the great truths and treasures in the word of God. Many people have Bibles, but they have never read them all the way through. It's kind of like filling your cupboards with food, but not eating it. It's Because some people don't have appetites for the Word of God. And they fill their spirit with all kinds of other things. Junk food. And then he said, notice verse 16, Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. If you get into the Word of God faithfully, you will find it to be a great delight to your soul. But too many people have little delight in God's Word, so they don't have much delight in their life. He says, I am called by your name. This means Jeremiah was called into service for God. And if you're devoted to the Word of God, you will have a place in the service of God. Being devoted to the Word of God is absolutely necessary if you really, truly want to serve God. Right now, Jeremiah is in a real deep pit, spiritually and emotionally. Remember, his hometown rejected him, and they got rid of him. His own family rejected him. His life is actually in danger. But remembering the past only makes him feel worse. He says here, notice, I sat alone because your hand was on me. He sinks deeper and deeper into hopelessness. In verse 18, he hits bottom emotionally. In his bitterness, he cries out, Lord, why does my suffering continue? Why is my my wound so incurable? Why is it something that, that doesn't get better? 
He's, he's, he's got all of this pent-up frustration of 30 years of opposition. 30 years being opposed, bringing the message of God to the people and ridicule. This pent-up this, this pent frustration over the last 30 years, it, it's all coming out now. It, he's, he's, it's an outpouring of grief. And he's asking really, Lord, have I suffered all of these things for nothing? And then at the end of verse 18, he accuses God of, of, of being like a, a seasonal stream. One minute there's water flowing in it, the next thing it's all dried up. You can't depend upon it. Jeremiah is trying to find some meaning for what he's going through. Verse 19. Now God answers him, Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, Jeremiah, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me if you take out the precious from the vile. You shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. Jeremiah was human. Jeremiah had his failures. He had his shortcomings like we all do. But at least he honestly admitted them to God. Instead of, you know, piously covering them up, covering up his true feelings, he poured out his heart to the Lord. And the Lord answered him here. But it, it doesn't seem, it, 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 God doesn't seem to show much sympathy with Jeremiah's feelings, with that, with, with what he's pouring out to him. Instead of, instead of God saying, oh, Jeremiah, man, you're awesome, and, and, you know, and I applaud you, and, and I thank you for just you know, keep, keep going there, you know, God, or, or God comforting him in the present moment, you could say it's kind of a roundabout rebuke from God because there's a little bit of sternness in God's voice. And God's answer may have shocked Jeremiah because the Lord told him to do what? He needed to repent. He said, Jeremiah, if you return, that is, in return from what? Give up the, this mistaken feeling of distrust and despair that you have for me. If you return, I will restore you so that you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you'll be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not them let them influence you. You see, if you, if you look at your circumstances and you look at this world and all that's going on, it will influence you. It will bring you down. God says, don't let them influence you. You influence them. You have the message. You have the hope in his word. Because of Jeremiah's attitude toward God and his calling, Jeremiah was about to throw in the towel. He was about ready to give up his ministry. And in some ways, he was reflecting the words and the attitudes of the people of Judah when they questioned God. God is saying to Jeremiah, instead of this depressing weeping that you're doing, which is unbecoming to a man of God, you speak the truth and faith. You speak truth and faith. Then you'll be my spokesman, Jeremiah. You see, God requires total commitment. And if we're going to fulfill his high calling, we need a total commitment to the Lord. God's sternness in his voice seems to shock Jeremiah, bringing, him back, bringing himself back to, you know, 
being on the right thought process and the, th- the right thoughts in his mind. Look at verse 20 through 21. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you, Jeremiah, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. And I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. Here's God's comfort now to Jeremiah. Now that Jeremiah's emotions are now under control, he's got his mind thinking in the right way. The scolded Jeremiah has become a sadder but wiser man. He finds God's comfort all around him. For God's broken servants, those, you know, the servants that are just, you know, just so bummed out. God is good about remembering rebuke with comfort. You know, he tells us what we need to hear and then comforts us. The promises that God gave Jeremiah when he called him into his service are renewed. Jeremiah, I am with you and I will comfort you. He promised Jeremiah again to make him notice a fortified bronze wall and to give him victory over all his enemies there in verse 20. Jeremiah had to learn to walk by faith. That meant obeying God's word no matter how he felt. We are to be driven by the word of God and not our feelings. That means obeying God's word no matter how he felt, no matter what he saw, no matter what others might try to do to him. God never promised Jeremiah the ministry would be easy. Just go back to chapter 1 and you see what God told, told Jeremiah. He didn't promise Jeremiah the ministry would be easy, but he did promise Jeremiah everything that you need, Jeremiah, in order to do your work faithfully, I will provide it for you. Is it uncommon for God's servants to get discouraged and, and jeopardize their ministries? No. Because every servant of God is human. And they're prone to cave in to the weaknesses of their, of their human nature, their feelings and their emotions. Moses got discouraged and he wanted to die. Joseph, uh, Joshua was ready to, to quit and to leave the promised land. Elijah even abandoned his duty, went into a cave and he wanted to die. Jonah got so mad because God wanted to save the people of Nineveh that he refused to go to Nineveh and help the people to be saved. Now, God doesn't want us to ignore our feelings. He gave us these feelings. He gave us our feelings. We're human. But he doesn't want us to trust our feelings. What he wants us to trust is him. Trust him to change our feelings and to start walking by faith. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-11 from the New Living Translation. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. Because when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. 
then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you want to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would, we'd, we'd never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he'll rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you're helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for your safety. Father, we thank you so much again for your word, God. We thank you for this chapter of encouragement, Lord. Father, it helps us to see that, yeah, we do get discouraged. We do get beat down, God. We do many times give in to our feelings and, and put our ministries in, 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 in risk, Lord. And yet, Father, you, you promised us, God, that you would provide everything that we need to fulfill our calling, God. You've given us great resources, God. You've given us your word. You've given us the Holy Spirit, God. You've given us the resource of prayer. And Father, with those three, those three weapons, spiritual weapons, God, we will be more than conquerors, God. But we need to pray, we need to read, Father, and we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. So Father, may we take this to heart. May we make this a, a great lesson for our, our hearts and our minds to, to remember, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.